And it's Thursday, December 12th, last program of the year, our 22nd, Pints and Politics. This is us. Uh, we are a bi-weekly discussion program of all things political, coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF, here in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. We're on the air every second Thursday at 7 p.m., and we'll be starting up again on January 9th. At the end of this program, I'll give out our podcast site and social media addresses and all that. Uh, joining me tonight in the, uh, in the studio is our politics panel, long-suffering and long-serving, and thank you all. Uh, Curve Lake First Nation Councillor and Ontario NDP Indigenous Peoples Committee Chair, Sean Conway, former uh, Mayor of Peterborough and Peterborough This Week journalist, Sylvia Sutherland, campaign manager and activist, Lauren Hunter, playwright and math teacher, Tim Etherington. And tonight we are missing Jenny Lancio and Donald Fraser. Donald has assured us that the consequences of his missing his daughter's fifth birthday tonight would far exceed any guilt or approbation we could cast in his direction. Oh, in Orange Corners. Anyway, happy birthday, Clara. So... Thanks to all of you for uh, joining me here on a frosty uh, uh, night in Studio A. It seems only a few weeks ago we were keeping both doors open and sweating away in July, but time flies. Now, uh, in my customary obsessive-compulsive manner, I sent out an email to all the panelists a few days ago to help everyone prepare for tonight's show. Usually my note contains a list of talking points and suggestions for topics. For tonight's show, I had planned to simply ask... What will you remember about the political events of 2019? Uh, As uh, such an open-ended plan flooded me with panic, I also included in this email list a list of links to all the podcasts from our ten political panels that we've done this year. Did anyone listen to them? No, neither did I. Um, (laughs) But I, I did listen to our first political panel of February 5th and actually extracted a few clips we just may listen to later on. My anxiety was that without structure, no one would say anything and I would have to mumble incoherently into the microphone by myself for an hour. Uh, of course, that would never happen given the talent in the studio. Uh, anyway, those were liberal, <laughs> yeah, liberal talent. Yeah, no, not oh, liberal talent. talent. No, yes. no, 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 no. Absolutely, see, you hit it. See, mine my, my feels everywhere. Anyway, all those fears of mumbling into dead air vanished around noon when I saw on Twitter that Andrew Shear had pulled the plug this morning. Then my Facebook Messenger lit up with as several of you began exchanging the names of likely successors. <laughs> So, before we debrief 2019, let's start with uh, the sheer departure and the launch of Conservatives 2.0. So, uh, and the, and the, may I interrupt? There's uh, one other issue. Yeah, so yeah, I never can say no. <laughs> the reason why we didn't respond is that we know exactly we knew that something was big was going to happen. There was Andrew Shear, but right as we speak. There's an election count going on in Great Britain, which maybe we should talk about too, and what implications it may have. Uh, And and there goes my emergency agenda. Anyway, uh, what do we make of uh, the the narrative around Andrew Scheer's departure and who is the most likely to be the next leader and what does this mean for the balance of power in Parliament? Sean. That's a big ask. That's Um, a huge ask. So so I... I I, I saw the news today, and immediately my my brain, the way that it works, I start going a mile a minute, and I say, oh, I wonder where that came from. I wonder if it could, could this have happened or what happened, and then details start coming out. And I'm going to hesitate 
to make I, I've made my personal uh, with between Aggie and I I have my theories <laughs> but uh, and your daughters they know they, they <laughs> my my four month old children are well acquainted with the way that my uh, political analysis works but I'm I'm hesitating to really give a reason why right now because mm. I want to see what tomorrow yes. uh, says because right now it's a lot of chaos. A lot of chaos mm-hmm. within the Conservative Party no. going out, and every Conservative talking head has an opinion about what has happened. And I understand that it's our job as a political panel to also be the talking heads giving an opinion. So here's mine. <laughs> um, I, I think that uh, uh, that some wrongs were done within the Conservative Party. Number one, there's a forthcoming report coming from former Harper Cabinet Minister John Baird, which is going to debrief the election. And basically, from my understanding, is this document will set out why Andrew Scheer will never be Prime Minister. And I think that goes back mm. to the uh, larger conversation about the role of social conservatism in Canada, and that maybe that ship has sailed. And that social mm. conservatism mm. is not... As it's not going to be as successful in the long run within the Conservative Party of Canada. It could come from somewhere else, perhaps in the People's Party of Canada, because Chairman, uh, Chairman Bernier is still holding the grip. But, uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. And also, uh, uh, putting your hand in the till, as Lauren so, uh, <laughs> described it earlier. Um, and, oh dear. and, but I don't really know. And, but we're all going to find out very soon. Sylvia, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, I usually agree with most things Sean says. But, uh, and, uh, but in this instance, I think I wouldn't count on it being the death of that particular movement within the Conservative Party. I have mm. a feeling they did so poorly because of Andrew Scheer. And because of the nature of the campaign he ran, and because of the nature of one side of his personality, at least, that he revealed during that campaign, which I think turned a lot of people off. And I wouldn't, and Max Bernier wasn't a lot better <laughs> when it came to identify or conducting politics. Sylvia, so, yeah, for, for, for our listeners who may not be as familiar with that nuance as we are in this room, what side of the personality are you referring to? The side that uh, during the election, the English language election debate, when asked a question, I forget what the question was, which should, uh, which uh, I almost said Pierre Trudeau, which uh, Justin Trudeau had answered. Uh, Scheer was the next one to answer. Instead of answering the question, he turned on Justin Trudeau and uh, in a most uncivil way outlined you know, all all Justin Trudeau's failings as a human being. Mm. And that's when Elizabeth May stepped in next and said, despite what you've just heard, I'm going to try to answer your question. That nastiness oh, and okay. lack of civility. Okay. Fortunately, I think people in Canada don't like, and I think that hurt them badly. I mean, mm. my goodness, talk about it. Who was that used the analogy of the open net? No, here you had the blackface, here you had all the, the reasons why they should have done a lot better. I think the personality of Andrew Scheer had as much to do with their losing as did uh, their political position. Lauren? Uh, the person, I believe, who made the open net analogy was Peter McKay, which brings us back to who was <laughs> oh, going yes. to run the leader <laughs> of the there is Liberal a Party. Yeah. Oh, sorry, the Recycling, we call it. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think what's interesting mouth. to me is uh, that... 
ostensibly, it seems as though this resignation has not come as a result of some deep thinking or looking internally and maybe realizing that he wasn't the best leader for the party at this time to carry them forward and that, in fact, it has come, he has been, in essence, forced out uh, by the revelation that he was, um, it, it is alleged, that he was taking Conservative Party money and using it to fund his children's private education. But they knew... Well, of course, some of them knew. Someone would some have to have known. He would yeah. not have the the keys to the till necessarily. Someone else would have known, and that'll be a, an open question as to whether or not there'll be other folks who go down with this. But it it doesn't seem like they've had some um, big realization about the future of the Conservative Party and and this you know battle of the social conservatives. That's not what's happened today. I don't think. I think this is an immediate reaction mm-hmm. to a scandal breaking out and trying to sort of get ahead of it as best he could. And so then I. I think they are still going to struggle with those questions mm-hmm. as time goes forward as to whether or not they continue to tack to the right uh, and appeal to those social conservatives. If there are enough of them, if they can broaden that message uh, enough to win back the votes and the seats that they need in both Ontario and Quebec with that sort of approach, uh, what does happen to Max Bernier in, in a question like, does the People's Party of Canada continue to exist? Do they, in a leadership race, does he run for leader of the Conservative Party? Party again, and they're back into that question. Uh, it will be, as Sean is saying, it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow and the day after yeah. that as this actually unfolds. Well, well, um, I think rather than saying he had his hand in the till, some a group within the conservative executive, although not all of the executive, which was interesting because some of them didn't know, hmm. said, here's the till, <laughs> you know, <laughs> put your hand in. Tim. I, I do agree. It seems like it was a hit job. It seems like that was the oh. that was that was the reason to get rid of Sheer. There were a lot of people in that party who wanted to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Peter McKay's been mentioned. Corey Tignacki had already been saying. Um, a lot of the ex-Harperites, and Harper still exerts a great deal of influence over the Conservative Party of Canada, wanted to remove Sheer. So, you know, what he did sounds like it was wrong. It sounds like it was something which there was a bit of a gray area anyway. I do enjoy the delicious irony that a party that spent a whole year of public airspace trying to find a gotcha on the opposition parties and taking the smallest indiscretion and blowing it up into the worst thing ever has resulted in uh, the conservative leader resigning. I, the one thing we've been talking about, the issue for the conservative party is the same issue for the Republican Party in the States, is that they made a deal and it's gotten harder and harder over time with the mob, to, for want of a better word. They fund, they fuel their campaigns on outrage. Um, yes. They played footsie with xenophobic, racist, homophobic constituencies. And that now makes up a big chunk of the Conservative Party. You know, a lot of people have been talking today about Peter McKay. And, you know, I mentioned earlier some other people. Half well, the country's never even heard of Peter McKay, and he's not the kind of Conservative politician that Conservative voters vote for. Tim, I, I have to Progressive uh, conservative in, inject on that that as you're saying that, Maxine Bernier is suing Warren Kinsella for Kinsella's schmear campaign, labeling uh, Bernier a racist. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I know that fits a certain trend of analysis. I wonder how much reality is. 
there. I'm talking about who's actually voting. If you look at the rump that's left mm. of the Conservative Party. Okay. And I, if you want to see a tell, think back to the 2015 election when, much to Harper's dismay, it was clear by the end of it he was going to lose to Justin Trudeau. What was the Tory tactic in the last week of the 2015 election? They went all in. Yes. On, yes. on barbaric practices, practices hotline. Yes, they did yes, a rally yes. with the Fords. Kelly you know, Leach. Yeah. And it was yeah. actually a pretty shrewd move because I think Harper managed to hold on to some seats for that reason by right. saying, okay, right. we can't uh, appeal to a broad electorate. We're going to go for our base. And right now the base of the Conservative Party is not susceptible to red Tories. Uh, do, uh, do, uh, I'm just thinking of the somewhat wonderful irony <laughs> of the fact that the Conservatives spend a lot of time bemoaning and criticizing and saying how terrible it was that the Prime Minister of Canada spent some of his allowance to hire a nanny for his children, who go to public school, by the way, right? and uh, he doesn't have five of them in private schools. Right. I just think it's wonderful. Or there. that the National Capital Commission bought and installed a swing set at oh, Rideau College, uh, no. uh, Cottage uh, for the Prime Minister's children to use. So I think, and that, Tim was sort of saying that, you know, it's all yeah. been fueled on outrage. Uh, and when you, you know, if there were folks inside the Conservative party who knew that this is what was happening at the same time, um, you know, that puts uh, an interesting question as to where those morals and ethics really lie. Yeah, and as I gorged on social media this afternoon in the wake of this delicious news, I came across the tidbit that uh, Andrew Scheer, since the age of 25, as you please, only Sean is close to that in this room, <laughs> since the age of 25, Mr. Scheer has been earning 170 Smackaroo, uh, 170,000 a year. As and now lately, bu- uh, no, uh, no, as uh, elected. <laughs> He's been earning a good buck. Now he was making more when he was the Speaker of the House. Uh, true, another eighty-five k. And so as leader of the opposition, and can't afford private school with that. I mean, anyway. Well, the rates are so different in Ottawa than they are in Regina. Is that a red Sean, I, sorry, I cut you off. Just uh, thinking of Regina, a wonderful candidate who has just been nominated named Mira Conway for the NDP in their provincial <laughs> election. Uh, no family connection. No, <laughs> no, none whatsoever, but no, that was very exciting. I think, uh, I think too, and this has been touched on a couple of times today through, uh, different folks speaking about this and, 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 and talking high level about the conservative campaign, but what happened after? The conservatives, didn't turn around and look inward and say what went mm-hmm. wrong. They were not humbled by the election result. Right. They immediately turned around and said, we have elected the largest opposition in Canadian history, which is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won the popular vote. We, you know, Justin Trudeau was going down where they didn't do it. Right. And they spent almost immediately after the election, right back into attack mode, yeah. which is not what people want. Yeah. That night. And, that and, night. That night. And what was Peter McKay's wonderfully Canadian analogy the next morning in Washington? He said, losing this election for the Conservatives was like missing on a breakaway on an empty net. Hey, it happens and, sometimes. It, it just does, okay? <laughs> hey, something I want, I want to connect with something both Sylvia and Sean said. Um, if if we segue a little bit away from just talking about Andrew Scheer, he's had his 15 minutes, literally. Um, 15 years. 15 years. <laughs> and 15 minutes in this program. At 170000 a year, yes. But what you said, Sean, about not 
taking the, the right lessons from the election. And you said, Sylvia, about civility. Yeah. And, you know, before this all blew up today, and I was thinking, what are my reflections on the year? And I'm trying to pin down the ongoing appeal and strength of Trudeau, because it is there. And even though mm. Facebook screamers and the national punditry class tried to deny it, uh, right. he's still a popular leader. He's been diminished. That you know, He took a lot of bruises this year. An analyst poll came out last week on, on preferred prime minister. Trudeau was about 12 points ahead of Andrew Scheer and about 20 points ahead of Jug, Jugmeet Sin. Mm-hmm. So what is it? And you know, I landed on that idea that if you look at the one leader who doesn't spend a lot of airtime launching personal attacks against other leaders, it is Justin Trudeau. And maybe there's something in that, that he seems like a bit of the adult in the room. Jagmeet Sin has gotten some very bad press over the last couple of weeks by trying to jump in on the uh, on the sort of outrage uh, train against Trudeau. He he seemed to side with Trump, you know, when the whole thing about the, the hot mic affair and got slammed on social media quite a bit. Whereas I think Jagmeet Sin's popularity during the election campaign, his surge in the mid campaign, was because he actually seemed like a reasonable guy. All right. Um, so you know there may be something in that, maybe something hopeful at the end of this year that the Canadian electorate actually likes a leader who seems like a calm, reasonable man or woman. Oh yes, have a slightly more cynical uh, <laughs> uh, take on that, which isn't right. actually mine. And I, um, I'll say my. My second favorite podcast at the moment is, uh, after this one, of course, is uh, the Hurley Burley, um, huh? which is uh, David Hurley, who used to work uh, for the Ontario Liberals, and before that, uh-huh. Scott Reed, uh, he of the beer and popcorn comment, if you remember that from way back when. Oh. Uh, but most interesting, what I found so fascinating was listening to Jenny Byrne, who ran right. many of Harper's campaigns. Yes. It's a great podcast, very interesting. But Scott Reed's theory, uh, in terms of the, the enduring uh, brand of Trudeau, was in part because um, we grew up, maybe not you and I, but uh, many Canadians grew up with him as sort of the, the son of the Prime Minister, and we watched him grow up, and there's a, um, a, a, a parenthood over him and wanting to see him to succeed, uh, because mm. we feel like we were all sort of there alongside him and watching him grow up, uh, and that we take some ownership over his success, which I thought, I hadn't heard that posited yet, and I wonder there if there's there. a piece of that that uh, fits into <laughs> this because I have to say I'm more of a cynic. I don't know that the civility piece of it is really what's what's going on here. Well, I, I have ho- the answer, but I, I hope it is. But I am among those who watched him grow up. Born on the 25th of December, whatever year. But I had I had a wonderful friend now, sadly gone, in Peterborough, a great liberal named Joan McRae. And Joan, in her later <laughs> later years, was out at Canterbury Gardens. Mm-hmm. And she was a huge fan of Pierre Trudeau's. Mind you, she was a huge fan of Mackenzie King's. But in any event, she was a huge fan of Pierre Trudeau's. And she, she was older than I was. She certainly remembered they were kids, and they were like. And she kept referring to Justin Trudeau out there as Baby Justin. And I said, Joan, if you want to get any credence, uh, give him any credence at Canterbury, you have to stop referring to him as Baby Justin. But that was, in fact, yeah. you know how many of us. I think that I think actually, Lauren, there is something in that. You yeah, know. I I find myself in the very weird position of pushing back against a little bit against Sylvia and Lauren, which I try not to do. <laughs> yes, I know I'm right in the middle. By the way, yes, but but something 
this year has really crystallized, I think, about the Canadian electorate. When we talk about Pierre Trudeau, yes, all of us remember Pierre Trudeau. And I mean, I was a child in the 70s, and, and uh, Pierre Trudeau was actually my hero growing up. I thought he was a swashbuckling, flamboyant prime minister when I was a young child. Um, but what we're missing in the mainstream narrative in this country is there isn't as much of that institutional history in the electorate. Canada is undergoing the largest wave of immigration. Yeah. It's gone in since, I think, the post-war period. The GTA, we were talking, I know, online about this today, is changing unbelievably, very, very, very rapidly. These are people who don't know who Pierre Trudeau is. Yeah. And it is fueling, I think, this this bedrock liberal support right now. Yes. And that's where, without going too far back into it, you know, I think there is a bit of that civility. Trudeau, a lot of, a lot of the mainstream narrative in this country are fighting battles and assuming that everyone understands the antecedents and the parameters of it. And there are millions of people in this country who really, they don't know who Peter McKay is. They don't, they, they don't know who Stéphane Dion is. They don't even know who Jean Chrétien is, let alone Pierre Trudeau. So what does the panel think of the sweepstakes that started at about uh, 1130 this morning in terms of who's next as leader? When will this be resolved? And I take Lauren's point that this was not a strategic decision on the part of the uh, the, the brain trust and the conservative party. That this is this is crisis management. Well, I, d- I wanted to talk more on. You, 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 can, you can ignore me, Sean. It's okay. <laughs> I, I'm watching. <laughs> it happens watching, all the time. <laughs> I'm watching polls come in. Okay. And yeah. uh, labor four seats, Tories one seat. Oh, the UK, right? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Early. Early. Yeah, early. They're early, the north. Early, early. It's north of England. Newcastle, Pontine, yeah. it looks very yeah. safe labor, yeah. and that was where we wanted to look if it was going to buck that trend. Yeah. But you never know. Exit polling in the UK is yeah. very sophisticated and usually not terribly wrong. Oh. Um, yeah. It's going to be an interesting result regardless. But This, is, this is live coverage of the UK election returns, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Okay. Tuning in from Newcastle upon Tyne. <laughs> you you get all not, the channels on Newcastle Trent Radio. Pontine, uh, uh, home of Peterborough singer songwriter Evangeline Gentle. <laughs> all right. And also Sting. You are and Newcastle of beer. Sean. Sean. <laughs> we are humbled. We yeah. are humbled. I'm looking to join any and all trivia teams. <laughs> I, I, I was, uh, you know, when uh, you used to uh, uh, be working at the Garnet, I was stunned when you brought out the detail that uh, Peterborough has a law on the books that you cannot hitch a giraffe to a light pole, to a, to a street light. The 1906 circus. See? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, anyway, so back to domestic issues uh i think i think the obvious contender really has been and it's been a very sophisticated sort of subversive campaign around it has been the suggestion of peter mckay right and one of the things that i've noticed in the last six to eight weeks has been his uh twitter feed Uh has reactivated and he is campaign style tweeting like here I am with the with the uh, consul general of the United States. Here I am at X Y Z law firm. Here I am at said fundraiser. Here I am at this. He came out supported okay. um, uh, various candidates in the in the federal election, and and I think that's a that was a really obvious. Yeah, and I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure, Sean, that that small, I guess, diminishing rump 
of the Conservative Party that was the Progressive Conservative Party will forgive him for selling them out. Yes, I mean, well, is there... David Orchard still around? <laughs> well, aren't there still knives in, in backs that people uh, in oh, the yes. party? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Resent? But there are, there are other there are other whisperings. Uh, Brad Wall, which I heard suggested. Mm-hmm. Rod Phillips, an Ontario Rona Ambrose. Rona, Rona Ambrose, who... who who is very popular? Yes, uh, I did a, a deep dive into her uh, social media pages and did a count of positive versus negative comments on recent posts. She hasn't posted in a couple of days, but if you go into it, people are posting now. Rona, come back. We need you. Rana, yeah, 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 Rana, yeah, yeah. Rana, Rana, Rana. So overwhelmingly positive within social media interactions mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. Rana Ambrose. The same with Peter McKay. Uh, less so much with. Um, uh, the Michael Chongs, the Brad Walls, the Rod Phillips, the Doug Fords, the Jason Kennys. Now, well, if Aaron I'm, O'Toole's name keeps coming up. Aaron O'Toole know. will 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 totally run to be the leader of the Conservative now, Party. Sh- uh, quick question: Is Kim Campbell the only leader the the Conservatives have ever had? I, I realize that it was Progressive Conservative. Is that true? Rana Ambrose. Was also leader. It was leader. Okay, so that's two. Now, there's a stipulation within the Conservative Party of Canada's constitution where an interim leader cannot contest the leadership, where that, I believe, is different in other parties. I'm not 100% sure. But that that was then, this is now, so presumably she could contest it now. She could now. Okay. Um, But, again, for someone that would be wanting to contend to leadership, unless they were waiting for this exact moment, which would then... Is is the Rana Ambrose connection who wanted to take out Andrew Shear, and that's why they've been quiet. Mm. Whereas a more active, not involved politician starting to make campaign style postings, right? That's that's where my connection would be, and that that is a deep, deep maybe. Mm. That's a definite tinfoil hat situation for me, Tim. I think Rona Ambrose would actually be a rather formidable leader of the Conservative Party. I think she, I think she is electable. I think she probably is the most electable of all the candidates out there. And yes, there is some residual goodwill, I suppose, towards Peter McKay in the general population, not necessarily in the ex-progressive uh, Conservative caucus. Um, can we take a lesson from the Ontario uh, Conservative leadership race, which seemed like Christine Elliott's like coronation, and then Doug Ford waded in there uh, on a populist wave? Um, the thing that would stop Rona Ambrose or anybody else would be a prairie politician who's willing to throw gasoline on the populist fire. Um, because if you look at the base of the conservative party, not just the voters, but the actual MPs, they, most of them come from the prairies. And it wouldn't take much for um, a, a politician from the prairies to rail against the elites and the old cabinet ministers. And, you know, that is the currency of modern conservative politics. Could it be Brad Wall? Could it be someone like that? I, I don't even know who it is. Could it be Jason Kenney trying to make a run at it? I don't know. But a prairie populist could unseat all of our prognostications. Sure, sure. I think um, one should not count out the possibility of Doug Ford jumping. And I think... Mm. I think that's a serious possibility. We know that the Fords have always wanted to be the prime minister, whether it be Rob, whether it be Doug, uh, or or Doug Senior. I think I think we really have to watch that because let's say oh everyone's 
we're not worried. Uh, Peter McKay is going to win it, and he's going to bring back the red Toryism to the Conservative Party of Canada. And then Doug Ford steps in in the 11th hour, and then you're stuck with not so much a prairie populist, but populist, but a an Etobicoke populist, which I think would make for a very ugly snap election within the next 18 months. Yeah, he is playing Ooh. the role right now of a sort of Mr. Quietly. Canada. Excuse me, Lauren. I just you... wanted to sob quietly into okay, the Okay, there's quiet sobbing in the studio. Yeah. I just want to add one quick detail there, because for our listeners out there, you might think, well, Doug Ford's premier right now. Remember, he was running for the mayor of Toronto when he changed his mind around for the PC leader, uh, for the Ontario PC leadership. Yeah. yeah. And he has and he's trying to 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 play uh that role uh, recently yes. of being the great unifier. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which is the this is the darkest timeline. This is this is what we're going to <laughs> we're, we're going to walk down this dark path. So the possibility of Doug Ford running for the Conservative Party of Canada leadership number 1 Doug Ford I believe his actions since in in the short sitting that they had after after their five month break before their two month break, which started this afternoon, as Salvia said, positioning him as the great unifier. As this is the kinder, more gentler Doug Ford government. Uh, we're we're going to back off of this. We're going to back off of that. And this was that we talked about this months ago. This was government by trial balloon. Yes, and and that's all coming to roost now. I think that Doug knows. That I don't, I think he might be a one-term premier. Now, the smart thing, if I was Doug Ford, would to be resign as leader, run for the leadership, and while the Ontario election is going on in 2020, have the yeah. have the federal Conservative Party yeah. uh, shore up support with opposition parties and. Uh, uh, call a motion of confidence against the government and dissolve it at the same time and force an election the same time the Ontario election is happening. Maybe the Tories should hire you. Can I throw out sure, one sure, more name? Sure. Lisa Raitt. Lisa Raitt. Just a minute, though. Uh, Doug Ford spent how many months in the penalty box? Purposely kept out of the electoral race? Doesn't confirmed nor denied. Well, no, but all of us observed that he was a scant quantity during the... Well, regardless of what happened, the the messaging out of uh, Ford and, and Jenny Byrne, Jenny Byrne yeah. has been pushing this, is the kinder, gentler Doug Ford not okay. involved. That okay. not only helps him on the Ontario front for his ministers to go and do their evil bidding with the budget, <laughs> right. but it also softens the image of Doug... Because, as we know, it's very possible that Doug Ford was the one that took out Patrick Brown. And so what's what's to say that Doug Ford wasn't behind Andrew Scheer? I don't think it was Doug Ford that took out Patrick Brown directly, but I do think it was the Conservative Party of Ontario that took out pa- Patrick Brown. I, see, just, I think Doug Ford may have been a surprise for them in the end. One thing that we need to always remember about Doug Ford is he's a terrible politician. He's a terrible public speaker. He's a terrible debater. Um, he t- rode a wave of a certain – let's talk about an empty net. The puck was like – you know, was on the goal line for the conservative victory in the last provincial election. And the only reason it was in doubt was because of Doug Ford. Hmm. The support he 
he does have in Ontario is there, although it's greatly diminished. Where's Doug Ford going to find votes? He's not going to find it in the Maritimes. He's not going to find it in Quebec. He's got the prairie roots that the Conservative Party has. Doug Ford's going to go walking around Vancouver and, and, and garner votes. Like, I just don't like, as a person who doesn't want yeah. to see conservative government, please, please choose Doug Ford. I would think that would be a terrific, any conservative voters out there? Yes, pick Doug Ford, please. Be the next federal leader. Okay. Uh, Sean, uh, I hate to pinpoint you, but do we have an update? On seat count? <laughs> this is the UK election. We won't get official there. results until very late tonight. It's over. UK election results coming to you. Coming live. to you live. There are... 650 seats in the in the UK Parliament, and we have seven called. <laughs> okay, be... they count by hand in Britain. Still, <laughs> uh, so that's five seats for Labour, two for the Tories. Okay, and it looks so far, and this is again very early days, that the Scottish National Party will overtake the Liberal Democrats. All right. Well, tune in at about 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, and we won't be here, but the results will be. We can't I think leave, about we, 11 tonight, actually. Yeah, well, we shouldn't leave that hanging. The overwhelming evidence is that Boris Johnson is going to sweep to a majority. Um, well, that's what the, the radio is. Well, the radio and, the and largest exit majority and the, since Thatcher. Exactly. Yeah, the largest majority sure, Thatcher's. Jeremy Corbyn is going down in history as one of the great own goals in politics. Uh, oh. He did not. He the, the Johnson government was flailing throughout right. the summer and into the fall. Jeremy Corbyn uh, agreed to an early election, a snap election, hoping that Labour would increase its share, and it turned out to be an absolute disaster. You know, tonight is the end of Jeremy Corbyn's career. Well, maybe so Brexit is, Brexit is a done deal? Brexit, Brexit is, yes. Now Johnson can interpret this as a mandate. And listen again, we don't get too deep into, into British politics, but the Labour Party, <laughs> the Labour Party in Britain played a, tried to play a middle ground with Brexit. You know, they tried to hold on to some of their xenophobic, you know, rural base mm -hmm. by saying, well, we, we just want to renegotiate Brexit. And so it caused a lot of the Remain votes to drift away from Labour. And One it was of the a most unfortunate failure. things that came out of this election for the Labour Party of Britain was the anti-Semitism. Yes. That uh, Mr. Corbyn and, and uh, yeah. you know, which uh, really was sickening, yes. frankly. Yes. All right. So we have this uh, hiatus now that's going to go on. What's what's our timing? When will we know, do we think, who the next conservative leader is? Will we know in January? Is there going to be a leadership? Will they stretch it out to April? There's a policy convention in April, and I think if uh, nominations are open, uh, that gives them a good time for probably a deadline end of January that gives people over over the holidays to make the phone calls and mm -hmm. uh, and figure it out. Uh, we'll know the big players by the end of the holidays, I think. Mm -hmm. If not, tomorrow morning. <laughs> it's just what you want to hear over the holidays. Hello, I'm your friendly local, you know, <laughs> leadership what, candidate. A question I asked, what does this mean for the balance of power, all the parties, uh, in Parliament? How does this change the game? So I, I don't know that it does, um, because mm -hmm. I would expect the Conservatives to vote against the minority Liberal government on everything at every opportunity. Right. And really, I would say the balance of power sits with the NDP and the bloc. So I don't think it shifts 
things all that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think the liberals may certainly go to the conservatives on particular issues they think where they might get their support. And they'll have, well, Shears staying on, I guess. They're not appointing an interim. There so was far. an emergency caucus meeting called uh, very belatedly this afternoon, uh, and the rumor mill in Ottawa was churning that, in fact, they were going to boot him out immediately, install a different interim, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then proceed. But it seems like he managed okay. to convince the room not to do that, to let him uh, continue on. Uh, so I, I don't know that it changes a lot. I think okay. it might, you know, if if I were them, I would think that April, where you already had that date in the calendar, might be smart to pair your policy convention with your leadership, if you could, um, depending on what their constitution says. Well, also, Lauren, their school fees to consider, and when does the turn? <laughs> What is the school uh, turn? Dig the knife in there, so it's just a little bit. Oh, turn it a little. Oh dear. I think it, so. it, this is going to be an interesting time to watch um, watch the house. Uh, for the next few months, and and this is going to come down to who the House leaders are, mm-hmm. and the House leaders are going to be working overtime. The whips are going to be working overtime. I think within the Liberal Party and within the Conservative Party, the NDP and Bloc Québécois have interesting positions to play. It will come down to what the Liberal government anticipates will be confidence motions, mm-hmm. and we've not yet seen. We have. Mm-hmm. We saw one, one, one confidence vote, and which. So when I, I anticipate that the Liberals are going to start playing hardball, and they need to, they absolutely need to to uh, shore up support in the House and call bluffs, and by making almost anything that the government does into an opposition or into a, a confidence motion, the the way that the liberals can play it is if you vote against this, you're calling an election and, um, and, and it's your fault. <laughs> like that, which, yeah, is, yeah, which yeah, is what yeah. it is. Yeah. I think. I will say, uh, so I think, yes, they won. There was a confidence motion. I think it was a ways and means um, motion around the budgetary uh, piece that they won, but they actually lost a vote uh, on a conservative motion to create a special committee on Canada-China uh, relations. Aaron O'Toole, um, funny enough. Aaron O'Toole mm-hmm. right. uh, mm-hmm. put that forward, and uh, I actually think that that was a bit of a flub uh, right out the gate, that they probably should have been reading the mood of the House, and I know there was one clause in the motion that sounds Sounds like they weren't uh, interested in um, uh, supporting, which you know would give the committee the power to call the prime minister, the deputy prime minister, and the minister of foreign affairs in front of the committee to question them. Um, but you know, if you knew you were going to lose that uh, vote, why not uh, sit back, decide to support it, try to make sure that it does what you need it to do, rather than lose a vote uh, so early on? But it wasn't a confidence motion, so a vote doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, um, it, I hope that that is a bit of a reality check for how they are going to play uh, the House. There, there is sure, sure. One, one more quick legislative observance was uh, uh, Charlie Angus's motion from uh, yesterday, uh, which which passed in the House, um, and that was to uh, commit the Canadian government to the will of Parliament to uh, end the judicial appeal into the First Nation Caring Society um, suit. suit. Uh, And that did have clauses to haul the INAC minister before committee. And the INAC minister has since confirmed that he will not stop the appeals. 
Right. Which is a very, very horrible position to take. Yes. Tim. I, I think the liberal government is actually pretty solid for the next year or two. I think they're able mm. to work with the bloc. Mm. There's a lot of common policies yeah. that they can work with the bloc. The bloc has no interest in triggering another election right now, not just for their own self-interest, but because... You know, if they're getting, I mean, the bloc has always been very straightforward about what their agenda is. If they think things are positive for Quebec, and that just doesn't mean extra powers for Quebec, if it's things that fit with the consensus, things like you see gun control, you see climate change initiatives being led and leading with that by the by the Trudeau government, that's going to secure the support of the bloc. There's also no mood in the in the Canadian electorate right now for another election. Right. Um, what I would, the person I really am interested to see over the next six to eight months is Jagmeet Singh. Because he had his moment during the election campaign. He hasn't done well since the election because he's still oppositional, oppositional, everything. We're going to, I mean, he has been a bit sure light in saying, you know, we demand the government do this and everything. And they've fallen flat. They haven't been very well. And I think he has a position, steal what Blanchette is doing, right? To say, we have our priorities. We, in the spirit of generosity, we work with this government. We disagree with something. And, they can have lots of legislative wins, but if they're constantly threatening to bring down the government, the NDP can't bring down the government. Right. As long as the bloc supports the liberals, they're a solid government. Sylvia? Maybe Jagmeet Singh should consider why he was so well thought of, which he was, and I was among those who thought well of him at the end of the most recent campaign, mm-hmm. and that was because he was civil. Yes. And because he didn't enter, uh, he didn't behave as the others behave, which he seems to be doing now. Maybe yes. he really should think about why his popularity yes. went up. Yes, and I agree because I just I, I don't want to make it seem like I I think I think he's got a lot of room for growth. I think mm-hmm. this is a crossroads for him. He can really establish a positive impression in the Canadian electorate. Yeah. Um, but I he's got better, he, he better get start get started. You're absolutely right. You've just listened to part one of the December 12th podcast, edition number 74, Pints and Politics. In part two, our panel moves on from Andrew Shear's resignation to discussion of the year in politics, 2019, particularly in regard to politics in Peterborough.